Absolutely delighted to stand up here this morning and share the word. Uh, I got lucky because uh, it just so happened that this Sunday fell to me and this Sunday brings us to one of the most incredible moments in the history, not only of God's people, but of God's creation. And so this morning, we're gathered to bear witness, to stand and see, to keep silent, to know that Yahweh is God, to hear songs of salvation and sing songs of salvation, to worship the God who sets us free, leads us out and fights for us. Who is like you, O God, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, doing wonders? Who is like you, O God? So I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning with the slides. Uh, Go to the next one. Um, If you want to follow along on the more detailed outline of what I'm going to share... You can go right there. Um, I'm just going to keep it uncluttered up here on the screen uh, since I'm prone to clutter. So I thought this might be helpful. Um. We're in Exodus 13, chapter 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of land, the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer. For God thought, if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people by the roundabout way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt prepared for battle. And Moses took with him the bones of Joseph, who had required a solemn oath of the Israelites, saying, God will surely take notice of you, and then you must carry my bones with you from here. So God leads us the roundabout way to freedom. Because we're not ready to be free. We're not ready to be free. God looks at us and says, if I lead them the straightest way forward, they're going to come into conflict that they're not ready for. And it'll overwhelm them with fear and they'll turn right back around. They'll go right back to the life that they had before. So God leads us the roundabout way, it says. Leads us by a different route even though we think we're ready. It says they they went out of the land of Egypt prepared for battle. It says that even though the verse before says, God thought, when I look at my people, I don't think they're ready for battle. I think if they face it, they'll flee. They'll flee back to their old life. So we think we're ready, and perhaps the roundabout way is a little confusing because of that. 
Perhaps God's leading us along a path and we think, God, why not the other way? Why this way? This way's longer. This way's harder. This way is perilous. Why this way? And God says, just come this way. You're not ready. You're not ready for the other path. I think we are. We got our weapons, you know. We're, 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 we're equipped. We're geared up. Let's go. No, you're not ready yet. And so there's an element of trust that's absolutely essential to being led out of slavery into freedom. We have to trust God to lead us along the path that we are capable of walking. And sometimes it's a bit roundabout. It's interesting that one of the things that this ancient text records is that they carried out a box of bones. You know, of all the things that could be recorded in, in Scripture, it's often curious to ponder, well, why this detail? Because there's so many others that get left out. You know, there's only so much room on those ancient papyri. They had to choose what, what would go in and what would get left out, and sometimes they add in a detail and you just think, huh, not the choice I would have made. But this is meaningful. This is meaningful as, as Israel leaves the land of Egypt. You can go to the next slide. Israel leaves the land of Egypt keeping old promises and straining to remember older promises. The old promise, a generation's old promise to Joseph that when the time comes, we will carry you out. But embedded in that old promise is this expectation that the promise God made, the promise to make Abraham's descendants into the blessing of the nations is yet to be fulfilled. And when the moment comes that God sets you free, you carry my bones out and you remember, you remember the promise because it's still coming. And so they carry that box of bones out, straining to remember those old promises. Surely God will take note of you. Surely God has. They set out from Sukkot and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they might travel by day and by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night, left its place in front of the people. It's hard to imagine what this must have been like. And granting the possibility that, that God can do all kinds of crazy supernatural things, we're about to watch one of those, our imaginations tend to... to extrapolate and think about well, what does this pillar of fire look like and what does this pillar of 
cloud look like? It'll be clear as we read further along that they're not two separate things. It's the pillar of cloud that will light up the night. By day and the light of the sun, it's a great pillar of cloud. And at night, it illuminates the sky. And given the clues in the text, the great wind that's going to blow upon the Red Sea, and given the frequency with which God appears in the Old Testament as a storm, manifests as a terrible tempest. There's pretty good reason to think that something not unlike a massive storm cell swirling and flashing with lightning is the cloud and the fire that moves along the ground in front of Israel. Gives me goosebumps thinking about it. I can't imagine what it would be like to look upon that, to watch that massive storm flashing and moving ahead of us, and for our leader to say, follow that. But that was the Lord's presence leading the Israelites. Leading the Israelites in an unexpected way. It turns out the roundabout way is a trap. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pihahiroth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baalzephon. You shall camp opposite it by the sea. Go pin yourselves in. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they're wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has closed in on them. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them so that I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. See, the thing is, this this God who's leading us in the storm, this God is willing to lead us to the very edge of chaos and catastrophe. Leads us to a place where we have no other options than to let God be God. It's a terrible strategic decision. It wouldn't take a great general's mind to look at where the camp is set up and then look back the other direction and think, this is a bad idea. But that's where God wants them. He's willing to lead them into catastrophe for a purpose. You see, our salvation, our redemption, our being set free from our slavery, from our old life, 
It serves a purpose beyond our salvation. It is such an ancient error to believe that God blesses me so that I might be blessed. That God saves me so that I might be saved and enjoy the fruits of my salvation. Because it seems that surely God does love me and does want that for me. He does save me and He does bless me and so isn't that the point of it? But no. No, not that only. Not that first and foremost. Because God leads us out of captivity into catastrophe so that He can show everyone else who He is. Through our suffering and our danger and our fear, our anxiety, through our sorrow and our our overwhelming sense of despair through everything that besets us on the way out of captivity. When we hit the wall and we find we don't know what else to do when we don't have anywhere else to go, through all of that, God is glorified. There's purpose in it. There's purpose in being led the roundabout way. There's purpose in being led to the edge of the sea hemmed in, trapped, and desperate. There's purpose in everything you experience, all the hardship, all the trial, as you walk the way that the Lord is leading you. In it, God is able to show the world who God is in a way that God cannot do without you being hemmed in. Our salvation serves God's purposes beyond our salvation. So Israel finds itself precisely in the situation that they would have liked to avoid. You can go to the next slide. It's wonderful that we've got the pillar of cloud and fire leading us in front the problem is the problem is we have Pharaoh's army behind bearing down on us now I looked around for some sort of modern reenactment that would do justice to the sensation of this I couldn't find anything I couldn't find anything that represents what this meant to the people of Egypt, and more importantly, to their enemies. This was their Netflix. This was how they told the story of absolute slaughter, of unstoppable conquest, of military power, the likes of which the planet Earth had never seen. This is what it means that Pharaoh gathered his chariots and his horses. This is heavy artillery. This is the tanks coming right at you, and you've got nowhere to run. By the way, you may be aware, you may not, that there's some debate about who was Pharaoh at the time of the Exodus. That is to say, what's the date of the Exodus? There are two possibilities. 
And we know who the Pharaoh would be in either of those cases, but it just depends on how you do the calculations. There are clues uh, in Exodus and later uh, in some other books, and you kind of have to extrapolate to, to calculate, okay, when did this actually happen? I mean, because keep in mind, um, they, were in, they were in slavery longer than the United States has existed. And we have a hard time sometimes saying exactly what things were like back then. So just multiply that and then multiply it again in terms of the texts written later about when this was and how many generations ago and they don't have the kinds of record keeping that we have now. I mean, it's just, there's all kinds of reasons for this to be vague. Well, this is a picture of Ramesses II who is the Pharaoh of the later date. And so we don't know, and it's really not worth debating, truly, uh, exactly when. But just so you know, uh, we don't have, a, we don't have any, anything like a portrait except for these depictions. And there's a whole bunch of these depictions of this dude. I mean, there are buildings covered in these murals, these, these inscribed murals, uh, depicting his many sieges, that's a siege, battles, conquests. Um, if this is him, if this is who's bearing down on Israel right now, this is somebody who has decades of defeating far more well-trained, equipped, and prepared adversaries. Right now, he is charging toward a ragtag group of runaway slaves. So it's hard to extrapolate. How would you characterize this? Well, I, I don't know, but, you know, the, the United States uh, military budget is something like more than the military budgets of the next 10 countries combined. I forget exactly what the figure is, but it's something like that. And everybody knows, and all of our TV shows and our movies portray, that there is simply no winning if we decide to stomp you. Because the technology and the investment and the infrastructure and the will to violence is there. And it's something like that. There's no power on earth that has what Pharaoh has aimed at Israel with their back to the sea. So the people are afraid. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed toward the people, and they said, what have we done letting Israel leave our service? So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 picked chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out boldly. The Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots had chariot drivers and his army. They overtook them camped by the sea at Pihahirot in front of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. 
they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the, to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. So, becoming free is a pretty fearful process. The power that would keep us captive is on our heels, ready to drag us back into our old way of life. And when we see it coming, we have to come to terms with our fear. And we cry out, and the Israelites are honest. You can give them that. They're not faking good here. They're truly terrified. And so they have to come to terms with their preference for captivity. Now listen to what this says. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians as slaves than to die in the wilderness. I look at this situation, this battle that I'm about to fight, this hopeless situation from which there is no retreat, I look at this and I think, I can't survive it, and it would be better just to go back to the way things were. It would be easier, it would be simpler, it would be safer. Sure, it was hell. It was absolute hell. Sure, they murdered our children as soon as they came out of the womb. Sure, they brutalized us. But it'd be better. We should go back. We should go back. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Now why? Don't be afraid because you can do it. Don't be afraid because you got your weapons, you brought them, you got the equipment, you're ready. Remember, you came up out of Egypt ready for battle. It said so just a few verses ago, right? You got this. Right, Nathan? You got this? No, because all you have to do is stand and watch. You watch what God will do for you. All you have to do is shut up and watch. This process, this fearful process of becoming free is a process of coming to trust Yahweh to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. 
and coming to understand those purposes that are beyond you. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh and his chariots and his chariot drivers. There's glory in this. And if you understand it, you don't have to be afraid. So, then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? You can go to the next one. Tell the Israelites to go forward, but you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Divide it that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then I will harden the hearts of of the Egyptians, so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army and his chariots, chariot drivers. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his chariot drivers. The angel of God, who was going before the Israelite army, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved in front of them and took its place, moved, yeah, moved uh, from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel, and so the cloud was there in the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Yahweh performs a rear guard action. He preserves His people long enough for them to take heart and obey. Long enough for them to accept that God's going to do for them what they can't do for themselves. He preserves them. He holds them in this place. Protects them for a time. And then he opens up an impossible way forward. And that's what this is. Let's make no mistake. It's just impossible. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. You see this storm raging and the wind blowing all night. And turned the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground. The waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them. All of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and chariot drivers At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic, I bet. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Do you notice how uh, it repeats that there? And it's always interesting to ponder why, again, why the choice to repeat that. I have to think there's a bit of, there's a bit of astonishment there. It's like, let me just say this again. They walked, it was dry land, and there was a wall of water on the right. And on the, Did you catch that? I said a wall of water on the left and on the right, and the land was dry. I mean, it's that, it's that sensation. It's like, this, ha- this actually happened. Let me say it again. Hold on. Right? <laughs> I think it's important to note that God uses obedient leaders to make a way where there is none. God does this for Israel. Israel cannot do it for herself. And Moses can't do it for Israel either, but God uses Moses. God doesn't simply divide the waters. God says, Moses, stretch out your hand and divide the waters. Stretch out your hand and put them back in their place. God uses obedient leaders to make a way where there is none, and God uses obedient leaders to make an end of the power that pursues us. We need these people in our lives. We need these people who are able to say to us, follow that thing. Go that way. We need people who will say yes to the Lord when the Lord says, stretch your hand out. Show them. Show them who who the Lord is. We need people. We need people who will protect us from that power that pursues us, that would enslave us again. And when that happens, God's deliverance redirects our fear and our faith. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. That word fear, that's the same word, the identical word that was used a few verses earlier when they saw the Egyptians bearing down on them and were fear, filled with great fear. It says they feared greatly. And now that fear is properly redirected. Because when you look around at this whole scene, there is only one thing that you should actually be afraid of. And that's true if you're Egypt and that's true if you're Israel. 
That's true if you're Moses or Aaron or Miriam. That's true if you're us. When you look at the Lord, you should understand that there is no power on earth that compares. There is nothing that can get a hold of you that even comes close. It is a terrible power. But it's one that you can trust. And so they believed in it. They feared it rightly. But they had learned to begin to trust it. And that's what our deliverance is about. It's about the glory of the Lord before the, the nations that are looking on us. And it's about our roundabout way to finally beginning to be free because we're trusting the Lord. That's the beginning of Israel's journey into freedom. This unbelievable moment. And it's a moment that forevermore defines God. Now, now, now hear this. Hear what I'm saying. God was our creator. Eternal God. Creator of the universe. God was creator. Yes. And God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was the God of that calling, that blessing, that purpose, the intent to bless all the nations. That's God up until this moment. And at this moment, God becomes the God that we sing about every Sunday. Now, Yahweh is Redeemer. This makes God who God is. This shows us the truth of the Creator, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in a new way that forevermore, not just until the end of time, but for eternity, God is always the God who parted the waters and made a way out for His people. He's always the God that calls us into the waters of baptism and brings us out alive. He's always the God who makes a way for us. He is Redeemer, Lord, from now on. And so we worship. God, so we worship. And it's the only response. It's all we have. It's all we can do in this moment when you realize what has happened. Not just that it was a miracle, not just that it was wild to watch, but that by God, we're free. We're actually free. We're actually on the other side of it. And there's no more enemy coming for us. There's no more danger bearing down on us. We're actually free. He made a way where there was no way. All we can do in response to that is worship. And so Moses and the Israelites break out in song. And we have here one of the oldest songs in our tradition. One of the oldest songs ever written down in Judaism and Christianity. Listen to this. I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. 
horse and rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. This is my God. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord, Yahweh, is his name. The the Lord is a warrior. Praise Yahweh, the warrior who fights for us. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. He picked his picked officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. The right hand, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew our, your adversaries. You sent out your fury that consumed them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. In your steadfast love, in your steadfast love, you led the people whom you redeemed. You guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Praise Yahweh the Redeemer. Praise Yahweh the Redeemer. The peoples heard and they trembled. Pangs seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. Trembling seized the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan melted away. Terror and dread fell upon them. By the might of your arm, they became still as a stone. Until your people, O Lord, and go to the next slide, until your people, O Lord, passed by, until the people whom you acquired passed by, you brought them in and planted them on the mountain of your possession. The place, O Lord, that you, that you made your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. Here now, the Lord will reign forever and ever. When the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his chariot drivers went into the sea, The Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Just had to say it one more time. Praise Yahweh our King.
When the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a, then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand. I requested that there be tambourines. Are there? Ta- oh no, that's not right. And with dancing, this is up to you all. And Miriam sang to them, "Sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider, He has thrown into the sea. Sing to the Lord, church." The Lord.